So I'd like to start in Mark chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. And he entered again into the synagogue, and oh, you all can sit down. That's totally fine. Oh, the word of the Lord. We should stand. We should stand. (laughs) I'm sorry. God, forgive me. Okay. So we'll read this, and then you all can sit. Okay. Mark 3, 1 through 6. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. So you all can sit. And with the help of the Lord, if I had to have a title for this, I would be preaching on the desolate place. So if we could all have a moment of prayer that I would say exactly what it is the Lord wants me to say, I believe this is a word from the Lord for us tonight. So in Jesus' name, God, I pray that you would have your way in this service, Lord, that you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. You are so good. You are so mighty. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So the word desolate came to me a little while ago. um, And I'd actually written it down on my journal because I just wouldn't leave my mind. And once I had started looking into this word desolate, um, I had started to come up with some definitions. Um, And the definitions that I had come up with were spiritually dead, barren, empty. Psalms 46.8 describes desolations, and it says, Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. So I believe that God allows places and seasons of desolation, but I also believe the enemy can take us to places of desolation. And this is exactly how I was feeling at this time. I was feeling very desolate in my prayer life, in my Bible reading, in my ministries, and what I was doing. It affected my attitude. Have you ever been in that place of desolation where you were just barren? You felt spiritually dead, and spiritual death is a separation between God and his love and you. And I started pondering on desolation. And I know that when we're talking about spiritual battles, the way that we defeat what the enemy has cornered us into is by acting in the opposite. So if the enemy's trying to come against you with a spirit of intimidation, we act in boldness. So with this desolation and this spirit of desolation, I realize the only way that we can overcome it is by acting in its opposition, which is fruitfulness. And so fruitfulness, fruitful is opposite of desolate, which is producing, productive, and fertile. And so acting in opposition to desolation is, was my answer for this time. But what I found that was really important was that I wouldn't let my external be the excuse for my internal. Even though it can be desolate out there, and it is desolate out there, it's not going to be desolate in here. It's going to be fruitful in here. So if, desola- if desolation was spiritual death and fruitfulness I consider spiritual life, then how would we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life? And 1 John 3.14 says this very well. It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that not loveth his brother abideth in death. 
And so I love how Jesus just answers our questions almost word for word. Um, he tells us right here that we pass from death unto life because we love others. And loving others is how we can become fruitful. So if we're not acting in love, we're acting in desolation. We're spiritually dying. And the reason Mark 3 caught my attention is because Jesus looks around and he says that he is angry and deeply saddened at the Pharisees. Any verse that Jesus says he's angry and saddened, I have a special prick in my heart because I'm like, oh, Jesus is mad. I guess I must be mad too. So at this part, I was like, why is Jesus mad? Why is Jesus saddened? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he love all of us? And looking into this a little bit further, he says specifically, when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of our hearts, he was grieved and deeply saddened because the Pharisees' hearts were so hardened. And if you look at this verse, Mark 3, in the Gospels, it's um, parallel, I guess you would call it, is Matthew 12. And it's describing Jesus healing on the Sabbath, but it's through Matthew's perspective rather than Mark. And the reason Jesus is so deeply saddened and grieved is because I believe Jesus is frustrated at this time. Because he had just taught the Pharisees that mercy overrides religious law. And this is when Jesus and his disciples are picking plucks of corn to eat on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees ask the disciples and they say, why do your disciples do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus gives them two examples. He says, well, don't you remember when um, David eat the shoe, ate the shoe bread and his companions on the Sabbath? And it was because David was hungry and had mercy on his companions and also his physical need overrode the religious law of the time. And he gives another example. And he says, what about when the priests work on the Sabbath? And he said that the priests profaned the Sabbath, which means that they offered religious sacrifices at the time. But he said, but Jesus was saying he did this because it was for the mercy of the people and the need was so great for the people that the priests were shepherding that mercy overrode the religious law of the Sabbath and the priests were able to work on the Sabbath. So Jesus had just explained that mercy and love overrode the religious law, but yet the Pharisees are still trying to get him on the healing of the man with the withered hand, and they ask again. But Matthew 12, 7, right after Jesus explains this mercy overriding religious law, he says, but if ye had known what this meaneth, and by this he means the scripture that says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, then you would have not condemned the guiltless. If you would have known and understood that mercy overrode religious law, then you would not be even asking me whether or not I'm going to heal this man's withered hand on the Sabbath. And so if we look at the Hebrew definition and the context of the word mercy here, it means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. To me, that sounds a whole lot like love. That sounds like loving others, having compassion on others. So the act of healing of the withered hand was an exemplification of this principle that Jesus was trying to demonstrate to the Pharisees. And I believe that when Jesus asked, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill, the Pharisees held their peace. And I think this is a really nice way of saying in the Bible that the Pharisees were dumbfounded. They didn't really know what to say because I don't even believe they understood the question that Jesus was asking. And they were, didn't understand because they were so spiritually dead. They were living in a place of desolation. They had no love, compassion, or mercy in their hearts to even understand what Jesus was saying or what he was trying to do by trying to heal the man with the withered hand. And he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? 
And when he looked around on them in anger, he was grieved for the hardness of their hearts. And he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. So he was just like, oh, I'm going to heal the hand anyway because you do not even understand what I'm saying. So when he asked to save a life or to kill, this kind of confused me at first. And I kept reading it. But I believe that he wasn't talking to the man with the withered hand or the audience that was around. I believe that he was speaking directly to the Pharisees. And when he says to save a life or to kill, I believe he was really asking, is this the day, Pharisees, that you will spiritually live or that you will spiritually die? And through that, the Pharisees chose their faith. And it says in Mark 3, 6, the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So after Jesus asked this question, the Pharisees didn't answer. And then they went forth and they continued. And this was the beginning of their plot to crucify Jesus. So in that moment when the Pharisees chose spiritual death, we need to remember that we can't be like the Pharisees. We need to live in love, and even though we might be feeling desolate, we can't be so hardened by the things of this world that we're going to spiritually die, that we can't even understand what the word and what Jesus is saying. So God calls us to live in love. Um, it's not just about avoiding sin and temptation, and it's not just about living outside of desolation. I believe living in love is a salvation issue. 1 John 4, 16 through 17 says, And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein our love is made perfect, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And 1 John 4, 20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brothers also. Matthew 7, 21, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but it all relates. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It is God's will that we love one another. It is God's will that we step into fruitfulness. And what does loving one another look like? I mean, we can look at Jesus. Loving one another is not just being kind and showing compassion. It is all of those things. But Jesus healed the sick. Jesus came to the lepers. Jesus let the woman touch the hem of his garment. It's the things that we do and that exemplify Christ that allow us to live in love. It says, he that liveth in love is of him, is of God, that dwelleth in him. God dwelleth in him, and he dwelleth in God. Philippians 2.13, I love this verse. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When we have a close relationship with God, it is his will and it is what works in us to do of his good will and to do of his good pleasure. So with that being said, I guess this message is just about loving others. And, some, and I had said to somebody before this, I had said, Well, I feel like a message of loving others is something that we hear so often. Um, and this person had corrected me and said, well, we wouldn't need to hear it so often if we did it. <laughs> right. And so I believe that that's exactly true. So in this time of desolation, when our praise is affected, when our worship is affected, in the way that we act is affected, I believe that if we step out and live in other, and love others and we step out in love towards others, we can be fruitful in our own spirits and then be fruitful towards other people. Just as me as a nurse, I have been living, I, to be honest, a past few weeks in desolation. Um, and I remember when I first got into nursing, I would be praying with my patients and showing love in those ways, trying to heal the sick, trying to be 
a woman of compassion and a woman of caring, but the desolation of the world can start to infest itself into your spirit. And that's exactly what happened. And I started not praying for people as much and not really caring as much. And it's not that I don't care, it's just that the outside affected the inward. And I think that's so important when we recognize the desolation in our lives that we make a conscious effort to be fruitful. Yeah, amen. And so when I started praying for others again, speaking healing, speaking boldness, those were the things that made me the most happy, to live in the pleasure of Christ, that is, it is he who willeth the good will and to do good pleasure. And so with that being said, I'll leave you with this verse. And this is Second Peter, and Peter is saying, he's explaining how we bear fruit. And he says, you must give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And this is the important part. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys. <laughs>